In January of 2020, in the American Journal of Perinatology, Sean Blackwell et al. published a prolonged study. This brought into question the efficacy of 17-hydroxyprogesterone in its prevention of recurrent preterm birth. Most recently, the FDA has received calls to remove 17-hydroxyprogesterone from the shelf because of lack of efficacy. So, we are now in the race to find a true evidence-based intervention that can reduce preterm birth. Now, here's the tie-in, no pun intended, with cerclage. Most of us know cerclage due to the application of incompetent cervix, which is a mid-trimester pregnancy loss, usually with, quote, painless cervical dilation, end quote. But there's new data that shows that the actual process of preterm labor starts with cervical remodeling. So cerclages may be a valuable tool in the prevention of preterm birth now that 17-hydroxyprogesterone is in question. Well, does cerclage work for preterm birth? Well, let's take a look at that data now. This is Clinical Pearls. The role of increased uterine contractility has been the focus as the cause of preterm birth, but emerging evidence suggests that premature ripening of the cervix also plays a significant role. Preterm birth processes can be initiated by any of a combination of increased uterine contractility, premature cervical ripening, which is cervical shortening and dilation, as well as activation of the decidua fetal interface that can result in preterm, pre-labor rupture of membranes. Preterm birth is the number one cause of neonatal morbidity and mortality worldwide and the leading cause of long-term childhood disability globally. Now, about 15 million babies per year are born preterm worldwide, which are more than 1 in 10 births. Prior history of preterm birth and a short cervix defined as less than 25 millimeters in the index pregnancy are the strongest predictors of spontaneous preterm birth. Now, despite all of the different interventions that have been put forward to try to reduce preterm birth, like bed rest and 17-hydroxyprogesterone, the data has now become clear that the use of cervical cerclage may be the one that stands out as the most effective of all. Cerclage, of course, can be placed via the vaginal or the transabdominal route, and we'll get to that a little bit later in this podcast. Before we go any further, we have to stop and talk about the indications of cerclage because remember, there are two main categories here. There's the history-indicated cerclage group and then the ultrasound or the physical exam-indicated cerclage therapy. So again, history-indicated and then ultrasound or physical exam-based. For the history-indicated group, these include, of course, cervical incompetence, which is recurrent mid-trimester pregnancy loss or history of painless second-trimester cervical dilation with or without pregnancy loss. But here's what people forget, is that there is an indication for cerclage, according to SMFM, that includes a history of preterm 
pre-labor rupture of membranes prior to 34 weeks. So it's that one, that link to preterm birth that we're focusing on in this podcast. We're not talking about the incompetent cervix in this podcast. We're talking about the role of cerclage potentially in its prevention of preterm birth. For the second category, remember that's ultrasound or physical exam based. Ultrasound indicated cerclage is when cerclage is placed for transvaginal ultrasound measurement of the cervical length that's less than 25 millimeters, but only in women with prior history of spontaneous preterm birth. There's also data, though, that in women that have an extremely short cervical length, defined as 10 millimeters with or without vaginal progesterone, then cerclage can be indicated for the incidental extremely short cervix, and we'll talk about that in just a moment in this podcast. Owen et al. demonstrated that in women with prior spontaneous preterm birth, less than 34 weeks, and a cervical length less than 25 millimeters, cerclage reduced pre-viable birth and perinatal mortality, but actually did not prevent preterm birth less than 35 weeks. Now, unless the cervix was less than 15 millimeters at mid-trimester, at which time it did prevent preterm birth less than 35 weeks. Comparison of cervical cerclage with no cerclage in women with singleton gestations with a cervical length less than 25, but who do not have prior preterm birth, actually did not show any difference in the rates of spontaneous preterm labor. But cerclage was found to be efficacious when the cervical length was less than 10 millimeters. So let's make that distinction. The ultrasound-indicated cerclage right now, according to ACOG and SMFM, is when the transvaginal ultrasound shows a cervical length less than 25 in women with a prior history of spontaneous preterm birth, then a cervical stitch could be placed. But in women without a history of preterm birth, cerclage at a cervical length of 25 did not reduce preterm birth unless it was less than 10 millimeters. But in this case, less than 10 millimeters, most would argue that that's not a prophylactic cerclage, that's more of an urgent or an emergent cerclage as a latch-ditch effort to try to keep the pregnancy ongoing. We have to stop for a minute and review the importance of cervical length determination here because, again, a short cervix can be a marker for preterm birth. Cervical length screening is one tool that can be utilized to identify women at increased risk who may benefit from preventative therapy. Transvaginal ultrasounds have become the gold standard for the diagnosis of a short cervix because it allows for evaluation of both the internal and the external cervical os in the sagittal long axis view. Cervical length measurement in the mid-trimester qualifies as a secondary level of prevention of preterm birth because it helps to identify those women who may be at high risk based on that short cervix. Most consider a short cervical length to be less than 25 millimeters, but of course, it goes into the importance of putting it into perspective of number of fetuses and the patient's prior history of preterm birth, as we've just described. In general, an extremely short cervix is defined as less than 15 millimeters in a transvaginal ultrasound. Remember that transvaginal ultrasound can be done in two different approaches. One is universal screening, and the second is for triage of patients who present with possible preterm labor. 
for universal screening, checking the cervical length can begin as early as 16 weeks. And if the incidentally short cervix is found, then vaginal progesterone has traditionally been offered. Whereas in women with a history of a short cervix and preterm birth, then a cerclage has been offered under 25 millimeters. But we'll get into that in just a minute. But when transvaginal ultrasound has been utilized as a triage tool for preterm labor, remember that that's actually been utilized between 24 to 34 weeks. And in patients who have a short cervix, then that's where fetal fibronectin can come in as a referee. With those women who have both a short cervix, defined as less than 25 millimeters, and a positive FFN, going to inpatient observation, whereas those with negative FFN can be followed closely as an outpatient. All right, podcast family, look, all that was just the intro, all the background. Can you believe it? I'm already tired, and we haven't even got into our case specifics. But let's get into our examples now, starting with patients with a previous spontaneous preterm birth or a previous mid-trimester pregnancy loss. Remember that recurrent preterm birth occurs in 50 to 60% of women with previous prior spontaneous preterm birth. There's also an increased risk of preterm birth in women with prior history of mid-trimester pregnancy loss or cervical incompetence. ACOG and SMFM recommend that these women should be started on weekly doses of 17-hydroxyprogesterone starting at 16 weeks and continuing until 36. However, this whole issue of the prolonged trial and calls for its withdrawal from the market have severely called this into question. Additionally, in this cohort, serial cervical length measurements should be done every one to two weeks as determined by the clinical situation, starting as early as 16 weeks of gestation and can be done all the way until 24 weeks. Women who develop a short cervix defined as less than 25 millimeters prior to 24 weeks with or without the use of progesterone should have cervical cerclage. Now remember, we're talking about women with previous preterm birth history, not necessarily cervical incompetence. Now in this group of women with a previous history of preterm birth, this is why it's important to not rush to do a cerclage in this group, but to check cervical length. And here it is. Only 40% of women with singleton pregnancies with prior preterm birth actually develop a short cervix less than 25 millimeters before 24 weeks, while 60% do not have cervical shortening. So placing prophylactic cerclages by the virtue of just history alone of a previous preterm term birth will unnecessarily increase the number of patients who have cerclage even though they don't need it. However, in women with the history of preterm birth and a short cervix, placing the cerclage has been found, according to the data, to reduce preterm birth at less than 37 weeks, with that article being Owens et al., who followed 302 women with, again, previous history, and who were found to have a short cervix starting as early as 16 weeks. In these women who had cerclage compared to no cerclage, cerclage was associated with significant reduction in recurrent preterm birth birth, as well as reduction in morbidity. But the strongest evidence actually comes from a meta-analysis of individual patient-level data derived from five randomized clinical trials that included over 500 women. 
This was published by Brigella et al. in 2011. In this meta-analysis, cervical cerclage reduced preterm birth less than 37 weeks by 30% with a composite perinatal morbidity and mortality reduction of 36%, and only 20 cerclages were needed to prevent one perinatal death. So once again, in women with a history of a previous preterm birth who were found to have a short cervix defined as less than 25 millimeters as early as 16 weeks of gestation, then the cerclage is something that can be considered based on the data, even though they may not have a history of previous cervical incompetence. We are moving on. What about cerclage in women who are found to have the incidental short cervix? So just to be clear, these are in women without a history of preterm birth. I know we touched on this a little bit earlier in the podcast, but let's dive into it a little bit more here because it's also a little confusing. Vaginal progesterone currently is a recommended treatment in women with a short cervix who do not have a history of a prior preterm birth or second trimester pregnancy loss. The ACOG and SMFM recommend vaginal progesterone for women with the incidental short cervix defined as a cervical length less than 20 but more than 10 millimeters. The current available evidence does not support cerclage in women with a sonographically short cervix without a history of preterm birth unless, and here's the catch, unless it is less than 10 millimeters. Again, we'll talk about that in just a second. But right now, ACOG and SMFM agrees that vaginal progesterone should be the first-line therapy. Now, let's make this distinction between vaginal progesterone and 17-hydroxyprogesterone. The prolonged trial that's taking a lot of heat right now was only for injection progesterone. Remember, that's 17-OHP, not vaginal progesterone. So that's a whole different issue. In a meta-analysis of four RCTs that included over 600 women who looked at cerclage versus no cerclage for a short cervix, defined as less than 25 millimeters, without a history of preterm birth, found that cerclage did not significantly prevent preterm birth. Now, here's an interesting side note, is that they also looked at twin gestations in this cohort, and in women who had no history of preterm birth, but a cervix of 25 millimeters or less, and who had a cerclage placed, cerclage significantly increased the rate of preterm birth less than 35 weeks. Oh, but as is life, there's always a caveat. Remember, we just said that in women who have the incidental short cervix, but no history of preterm birth, placing a cerclage at a cervical length of 25 millimeters or less didn't seem to help. However, there are a subgroup of women in that same category, no history of preterm birth, but who have an extremely short cervix that's defined as less than 10 millimeters. Now, in these women, cerclage can be helpful. But remember, as we said earlier, most would argue that this isn't really a prophylactic cerclage. This is a therapeutic cerclage as an urgent procedure. So if you're asked on a board review, how would you manage the incidentally short cervix on screening ultrasound? Your answer should be, well, what are we talking about in terms of a short cervix? Is it greater than 10 millimeters and up to 25 millimeters? In this case, vaginal progesterone is the go-to therapy. But is the incidental short cervix less than 10? Because if it's less than 10 millimeters, cerclage may be indicated. 
The risk of cervical dilation and ascending infection is higher when the cervical length is actually less than 15 millimeters. Women with extremely short cervixes less than 10 millimeters have been shown to benefit from cerclage more than vaginal progesterone alone. Some patients develop progressive worsening short cervix less than 10 millimeters despite being on daily vaginal progesterone therapy. So these women who have less than 10 millimeters of cervical length, despite being on vaginal progesterone, have great benefit from the use of cerclage. Once again, cervical cerclage is recommended in women with the incidentally short cervix defined as less than 10 millimeters. We are almost done, podcast family, but I think it's important to go through these cases. So remember, we just covered the incidentally short cervix. That's the cervix that's short in women without a history of preterm birth. And progesterone vaginally is the first go-to if it's less than 25 millimeters, but cerclage should be considered if it's less than 10 millimeters. But that review was based on singleton fetuses. What about multiple pregnancy with the incidental short cervix? What do we do there? Well, let's take a look at that data now. Management of a short cervix in women with multiple gestations who have no history of previous preterm birth poses serious dilemmas due to mixed outcomes associated with interventions to prevent preterm birth. Use of daily vaginal progesterone has been tried without proven benefits. In a meta-analysis by Romero et al. in 2012, the use of vaginal progesterone in women with a short cervix did not significantly reduce preterm birth in this multiple gestation cohort. Now here's a summary of the data. In women who have twins and see incidentally noted short cervix, cerclage did not prevent preterm birth at a cervical length of 25 millimeters. However, just as in singleton women, it is found beneficial in women who have twins and have an incidental short cervix less than 10 millimeters. Once again, in women who have twins and are found to have the incidentally short cervix defined as 10 millimeters or less, cerclage can be helpful. And again, some would argue that this isn't prophylactic cerclage, but an urgent or an emergently indicated procedure. As our final case scenario, talking about multiple gestations, we just covered what to do with a multiple gestation and the incidentally short cervix. Remember, that's patients without a history of preterm birth. But here's how it gets even more complicated. What would you do if the patient presents with a twin gestation and a history of a previous preterm birth with her last singleton pregnancy? Do you do a cerclage in her if her cervix is short? Well, some experts have suggested the use of a pessary in combination with vaginal progesterone long before they develop a short cervix, but this is just not well documented by the data. There is no consensus on whether cervical cerclage reduces the rate of preterm birth in women with a current twin gestation with a prior history of a singleton preterm birth who now develop a short cervix. The data is very conflicting. For example, a publication by Hahn et al. of 135 women with twin pregnancy with a history of a previous spontaneous preterm birth who had a cervical length of 25 millimeters, cerclage did reduce the rate of preterm birth. However, Adams et al. showed that in 82 women with twins and a cervical length of 25 millimeters or less, with or without previous preterm birth history, 
surclage did not reduce preterm birth. However, most agree, despite this conflict at 25 millimeter cutoff, most would agree that in that extremely short cervix, defined as less than 15 millimeters and definitely at 10 millimeters or less, surclage is a consideration in patients who have a multiple pregnancy and a prior history of preterm birth. We have covered several different patient scenarios, but we've tried to make the case here that cervical cerclage can be a valuable tool for the prevention of preterm birth outside of cervical incompetence. We all get that cervical incompetence triggers the reflex cerclage in the next pregnancy, but it's something to at least think about in women without a history of cervical incompetence per se, but just preterm birth because women with a preterm birth history and the short cervix are at risk to have the same thing happen again. So cerclage may be considered in these women. Thanks for being part of our podcast family, and we'll see you next time on Clinical Pearls.